Hello, and welcome to Eyes on Success, a weekly program of information on the ever-changing world of accessibility. Now here are the hosts of this program, Nancy Goodman Torpy and Peter Torpy. Hello, I'm Nancy. And I'm Pete. Last week on Eyes on Success, we spoke with a manager of the accessibility team at Google and all of their new initiatives in making their products and services accessible. This week, we'll speak with someone who just graduated from college a little less than a year ago and was blind from birth and now is working at Google. We'll speak with Derek Reamer not only about his job at Google as a software engineer, but about his training all the way th- from his youth through college and his work on the free NVDA screen reader. But first for our tip of the week. This week's tip comes from Derek Reamer. Don't ever be afraid to request some accommodation and work with someone to receive a reasonable accommodation. And oftentimes that will be a two-way stream where you will be talking to the person or entity you need an accommodation from and make suggestions, and they might make suggestions as well, so that you can make sure that you have an accommodation that is actually fair and will be able to be implemented. And you've been doing this all the way through grade school, college, and now at work. Mm Mm-hmm. Well, that's a good point. As you point out, it really is a partnership. It has to work both ways. The accommodation that works for you also has to work for the person providing it. They have to be able to provide that service. Exactly. Support for Eyes on Success is provided by the Hadley Institute for the Blind and Visually Impaired, offering the 2019 New Venture Business Competition to help blind entrepreneurs turn their ideas into actual startups. More information and submission criteria are at www.hadley.edu slash nvc. For information about having a promotional item for your organization or service appear in the show, send an email to hosts at eyesonsuccess.net. Let's start by meeting Derek. Hello, I am Derek Reamer. I am a blind software engineer in Colorado who works for Google. I work specifically on Google Drive and the front end that you interact with on the web. And I am in my 20s and grew up as a blind skier who uh, ended up studying computer science in college at the University of Colorado Boulder. Now you've been totally blind from birth, right? I have. You are listening to Eyes on Success. Success, 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 success. This week's focus topic is Derek's education and other training, some of his extracurricular activities, and how all of this has prepared him for his first real job after college. You indicated to us before we started the interview that you went to the Anchor School here in Colorado, which is a school for the visually impaired. Can you tell us a little bit about that school? Anchor Center for Blind Children is a local nonprofit in the Denver area that helps blind people who are zero to five, blind and visually impaired, uh, get prepared for life. And they, for example, it's essentially a preschool, but for blind children. So they start working with cane techniques at like the age of three, 
Um, start working on Braille. Have games where you have to do things with touch. Teach cooking classes where they teach the kids, you know, how to pour like a hot liquid or water or other things. And so teach you techniques for that as when you're really little. They work on O&M skills, of course. So like we went on walks around the neighborhood, not like down streets really or anything. They'd go to museums, did some swimming classes where they'd teach you like you'd swim with the teachers and they'd teach you how to do things in water. And they've been running for about 30 years. Another thing they do is make sure that parents have the skills they need to make sure a blind child can be successful. And part of that is making sure parents know how to teach their children new skills as a blind person and help parents through the stress of realizing that they have a disabled child. That can be really important because certainly at those young ages, the kids can't advocate for themselves. They don't exactly. know what resources are available, et cetera. And you really need the parents to be on the ball and take charge of some of that. They do. And a lot of parents want to help, but they don't really know how to best make sure a blind child develops normally and has friends and stuff like that. So I think a lot of the school is focused on helping parents. After going to the anchor school, were you mainstreamed in regular public schools? Yeah, I was mainstreamed in a regular public school system and went to the local elementary school for the first six years. And then I was at middle school and then went to a high school. And actually, I'll talk about high school a bit more later, but I ended up going to a high school out of my district so I could do marching band. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. Did you use Braille going through school? I was doing all of my assignments in Braille. The first thing I used was a Braille mate, but I only used that in kindergarten, and it had one Braille cell in the middle. And then, yeah, eventually my parents ended up finding a Braille Light 40 on eBay and putting in a bid for it. Um, I remember very clearly we had couple bids that we lost and we finally won one. It was pretty cool. In fourth grade, I got a Braille display with refreshable Braille, 40 cells, and that helped a lot with writing. But I would do a mixture of hard copy Braille for a lot of things. And then pretty much all my assignments were in hard copy Braille. And then I'd write the assignments in Braille and print them out for the teacher. So by the time you got to high school and then college, I assume the technologies had changed a lot and you were able to interact a lot more seamlessly with your teachers and professors. Yeah. And that really started happening in the middle of high school where I was able to, for example, give a USB drive to my teacher and say, put the assignment on this for the day. And then for a while I was using a Braille note and I finally said, you know what, I'm just going to use a computer because I'll have better compatibility. And I was able to get the assignment from my teacher that way. <laughs> I guess part of it was I was learning how to advocate for myself and tell teachers it would really help if instead of having to wait for a couple days while the Brailleist Brailles this, you just were able to give me this in a Word document and I could read it on whatever machine I have. Well, by the mid and late 90s, a lot of these technologies had made it so that computers were a lot more accessible. They would speak yeah. to you. There were refreshable Braille displays that could plug into any computer, and that had to make it a lot easier, as you said, to use the same tools that your cited professors, teachers, and colleagues were using. I was born in 95, so it was not really using technology until the early 2000s. And yeah, a lot of it was hard copy Braille with typing. 
So then as a college student, you were majoring in computer science, so I assume most of your professors were fairly technologically savvy. Did you run into any issues trying to get your assignments input and then submitted as the completed assignment to your professors? So I took quite a number of classes in college that were computer science and non-computer science. Um, I took a sculpture class, and that presented some very interesting accommodation. How are we going to make plasma cutters accessible, for example? (laughs) (laughs) Things like that. So throughout college, I experienced quite a number of different things where I had to get accessibility and reasonable accommodations requests made. What were some of the examples that stand out to you? So math classes were always unique because professors can give you the format they have, but it may not be accessible. And when you get to the college level of math, I was doing calculus and upper division, uh, discrete math things. Um, Linear algebra was very challenging to get made accessible. So right around the time I was first getting to college, the MathML technology was being developed so that screen readers, users could read and interact with complex mathematics and have mathematics brailled from most websites, or not most websites, but a lot of websites. But it really wasn't super pervasive until my later years of college. And even today, it's still patchy whether you're going to get accessible math or not. So I would usually go to my professors and see if they could give me math directly in LaTeX, which is a format used by mathematicians for typing their math. And I would also get the university to braille math assignments. But that was always tricky because the people who are there aren't necessarily content experts, so they might make a mistake and not realize it. And braille math is very difficult. I mean, it all has to be done essentially on one line with a lot of special symbols and context rules. Yeah. And because it's impractical to braille an 800-page textbook on calculus completely, I would regularly receive the textbook in either a LaTeX file or Word file or regularly both, and I would have to use refreshable Braille displays to read the math and or request certain parts of it Brailled and then get those Brailled. And oftentimes, since they had limited time to convert these books, there'd be mistakes where they had OCR'd something and for example, a one turned into an L in the middle of an equation or something. Not good. So that was always tricky. Um, Not quite as tricky as the days when people had to have math readers. Because, of course, I can go ask friends, what is this actually supposed to say, and then fix it. It's difficult to read math, though. When I first got to graduate school, I had just turned totally blind, although I was partially Mm -hmm. sighted before then. And some of my recorded books were not finished being recorded yet. And so some of my graduate school colleagues offered to read some of my quantum mechanics, classical mechanics, and math books. They found out how hard it was. And you have to be very precise. You know, where's the parentheses? What's over what? What is group with what? It's not easy. Yeah. So you mentioned the Disability Services Organization. We've spoken with a few other recent college graduates or even current college students, and they've not had so much success with disability services because they went to smaller schools and maybe the disability services people hadn't had any experience with blind students. University of Colorado is enormous. Did they have prior experience or were you paving new roads as you went? 
the University of Colorado has had quite a number of blind students come through in mathematical or computer-related fields. So they had some experience converting these before. But there was a lot of personalization of what do you need and how can we provide it? And then there's always the negotiation of, well, I can't exactly provide that. I just don't have the resources to print everything in Braille all the time. But if you can tell me exactly what you need, I'll get it to you in Braille. But then there's always the problem of, I want to help you do this, but it's going to take me a couple of days to get this to you. And even though there's a university policy saying professors have to get this to us five days in advance, your professor isn't doing that. So it's going to be another five days until we get the material to you. So there's a lot of working with them on like, okay, well, we might need to get you a temporary reader for this assignment, or the professor is going to give you an extension on this assignment because they didn't get this to you in time. Always try to avoid getting extensions on college assignments because that just puts you further behind the class and each extension you get cascades on itself and you keep getting further behind in the class. Before we get into discussing your first job out of college, you said something intriguing earlier that you had attended a high school outside of your local district because you wanted to participate in marching band. Can you elaborate? Yeah. Funny story. When I was in elementary school, I was walking around the school with a teacher and I heard noise coming from another room and it was music and then it stopped. And then a couple of seconds later, it started up again and then it stopped. And I'm like, what's that? And she was like, that's the band practicing. I was like, does a band? She was like, yeah, when you get to fifth grade, you can join the band and play an instrument. And I was like, I want to play an instrument. And every time I heard the band, I wanted to play an instrument more and more. So when fifth grade came, I joined the band. <laughs> and what did you play? I tried a few instruments and decided to play French horn, which is a very interesting instrument because of its shape and because your hand has to be inside of its bell when you're playing it so that you can open and close your hand and move it around to make micro adjustments to the instrument's tuning. So that's the one hand. The other hand is pressing on the valves. Yes. How did you read the music? I didn't read music. I ended up doing everything by ear. Part of that stems from the fact that no one around me knew that Braille music was a thing. I didn't know Braille music was a thing until I got to college. I knew a little bit about it in high school, but I didn't. at that point it wasn't worth my time. Mm -hmm. So I ended up learning everything by ear, and the band director would make tapes of the music and ex say what notes they were and what fingerings those were, and then would play that section. And um, Other people in my section would help make sure I knew what I was doing by helping record those tapes. And that seemed to work for you, I guess. It did. Required a little bit of being creative to make sure I got what I needed, and I had to make sure I told the band director, like, hey, this recording has uh, the music going a little bit too fast, or this is a bit too large of a chunk for me to memorize in one go. Mm -hmm. But once we got that figured out, it was pretty doable. So as we discussed, you had both hands involved in playing the instrument, but this was marching band, so you guys were in motion all the time. You didn't have a hand available for a cane or to follow somebody with their shoulder. How did you know where to go on the field? Yeah, so I wasn't in marching band until high school, but once I joined high school, I actually wanted to march. And there were a couple high schools in the area, and one was like, yeah, we'd love to have you. And another one was like, we'd love to have you, but we're going to put you in the pit in the front, which is where the very large percussion instruments that don't move around are. And I was like, I don't want to be in the pit. I want to march. <laughs> I don't know how I'm going to march, but we're going to figure out a way. And the band director at Ralston Valley was like, 
we're going to figure out a way to make sure you can march. I don't know how we're going to do this yet, but we'll figure out a way. And so I was like, okay, I'm going to there. Well, that's great. You as an individual need that kind of attitude, and you need the person in charge to share that attitude. Yeah. So we ended up having to work a little bit on... Um, there were some interesting times in the beginning of high school when I was learning how the foot motions were for marching, where I would feel someone else's feet as they were moving them in slow motion to get, okay, they're doing this with their feet. And then a lot of practice with just, okay, now your feet are in the wrong position. Um, you should have moved eight yards in that 16 step interval, but you actually moved 24 <laughs> <or> <laughs> Oops. 10 getting that kind of thing down. But I think the most successful technique we ended up using, I actually got to the point where I got my steps small enough that I would know where I was at. And then people would learn that I was going to be there at that time. And if I came off, they'd tap a shoulder or something. So I knew who I had gone too close to. But as we got further into marching band, after a couple of years, we ended up discovering that the best technique was to have someone in my section have a dog clicker. And then if I got off, they'd make a one dog click, and I'd be able to tell what that dog click was because it didn't sound like any other instrument. And it stood out among all the other instruments, so I could tell, oh, that person's right here, and I'm supposed to be behind them by a yard at this point. So let me go over this way a tad. Well, that was very creative, and it seemed to work. It did. And there were a few times where we'd have to have someone like grab a shoulder and march me for a set because there were times when, for example, we were going forward and all of the woodwinds were going backwards and we had to mesh through each other with like a yard to spare on either side. <laughs> and doing it wrong meant you whacked someone in the back of the head with a brass instrument. Oh, that could have been bad. I remember specifically one time we had a costume in the band where we had these cloaks on, and the whole theme of that show was Dante's Inferno, so we were in hell, and we were marching through hell. And at the end of hell in Purgatory, we took the cloaks off to reveal our new uniforms, and that was paradise. One time, my cloak's hood ended up falling down over my eyes, and being a musician, I just kept going. I was like, well, whatever. <laughs> yeah. But I'm completely blind, and the judges didn't know that. And one of the judges was so impressed that someone was able to stay in line with the cloak over their eyes. <laughs> How funny. <laughs> oh, man. And this was routine for you. <laughs> yeah, but at that time, it was my first year in band, so no one knew that there was a blind marcher in this band. <laughs> wow. So it sounds like all through high school and college— there wasn't one technology solution or one other solution that overcame the hurdles you had to deal with, but you had to be very flexible, proactive, and very creative in coming up with solutions. But sounds like you really did. You graduated college just a year ago, right? Yep. With a computer science degree. About a year ago in May, I graduated with computer science. And we're actually fortunate to be able to talk to you today that you have the time, but it was due to something that wasn't so positive that happened in your life recently, I understand. <laughs> Would you care to tell our listeners about what happened? I broke a collarbone skiing a couple weeks ago. I've skied my entire life since I was at the age of three, and I've skied moguls, uh, all sorts of stuff. But I was on a mogul run 
and broke a collarbone a couple weeks ago. And so now I actually had time today to do the uh, interview. But I might have been skiing this weekend because we just got a 24-inch dumping earlier this week in the mountains. And I understand you're also a biker and a hiker. Is that right? I've biked quite a bit in my life. Not a ton, but I've done biking throughout my childhood and hiking, um, some backpacking trips. Overall, I'm fairly active. I just try to be active whenever I can and get exercise and be outdoors. That's always a good thing. Makes you feel better. And it sounds like any challenge that comes along, you're up to. Yep. But now you've got a day job. Would you care to tell people what you're doing at Google? Yeah. So last year I applied to work at Google and I wasn't really sure if I could make it in or anything. I was just some computer scientist, but ended up getting in and was looking for teams and I've been working pretty hard on being part of the accessibility industry for several years. And as a volunteer for the NVDA project, I had been making accessible technology for a while. So I really wanted to go work for the Google accessibility team, but I didn't want to move to California or New York or anything. So um, I looked at teams that were available in Boulder, and it turned out that there was an opening on the Google Drive team. And since that's a product that I've used for years, I was like, oh, that's a really cool product. I'd love to work on that. And ended up working on JavaScript performance. So I mainly work on how do we make Google Drive load faster? How do we analyze our current performance? I'm working on stuff like that currently, as well as fixing accessibility bugs in the app and helping the product gain a better, more accessible interface over time. Well, that sounds like a lot of fun. Yeah. Now, I heard that Google, unlike some other companies, actually makes some accommodations for people with disabilities through the interview process. How did that go for you? Yeah, Google does have interview accommodations. So I was able to get an accommodation to use my personal laptop in the interview, and they were actually like, yeah, and you got anything else? I was like, can I have a Braille display on me? And they're like, absolutely. So I ended up bringing a Braille display and a personal laptop, and then the interviewers would give me questions, and I would use a personal laptop to write the answers. Of course, they were there, so they knew if I was going and looking things up, they were able to verify that I was in one app and one app only. Right. Mm -hmm. You mentioned earlier that you were working on accessibility for NVDA. For people who don't know what NVDA is, why don't you give us a quick summary and then tell us what your current project is getting ready for the NVDA conference. Sure. So NVDA is, stands for Non-Visual Desktop Access, and it's a free and open source screen reader for the Microsoft Windows operating system developed by a nonprofit called NV Access, which is located in Australia. It's completely free and open source, which means you can download all of the code that comprises NVDA and learn how it works and make changes to it. Being open source, it's presented a lot of opportunity for blind developers to learn how the technology they use on a daily basis works. And I found that very intriguing, so I started working on the product a bit. And in about 2014, the NVDA community started creating a conference for people to talk about the product. There's an episode of Eyes on Success that we actually were interviewed for the conference that you can go reference. When we first met you, it was conducting that interview, and that was about two years ago when you were still an undergraduate. Yeah. But you were co-chairing the annual conference. Yeah. I joined the conference 
in 2016 started working on it pretty heavily. And we had a 10th anniversary of NVDA edition in 2016. And after that, I became the chair of the conference. And ever since then, we've held it once a year and have a keynote speech from the NV Access staff and talk about NVDA, have sessions related to NVDA, lightning talks where there are three sessions within the span of an hour on NVDA. And you're setting up everything for this year's conference now, right? We are currently in the process, yes, of planning this year's conference, hopefully to be held in August. So be sure to check it out. Now for this week's final item, how to learn more about NVDA and the Anchor Center for Blind Children, and how to contact Derek Reamer. If you want to learn more about accessibility of Google products and services or anything else related to accessibility at Google, listen to last week's episode, which was number 1918, in which we spoke with Eve Anderson from Google. So if people want to find out more about NVDA and the NVDA Con and participate in it, where would you send them? You can learn more about NVDA at NVAccess. That's just NV and then A-C-C-E-S-S dot org. And you can learn more about NVDACon at NVDACon dot org. And anybody can participate remotely or at least listen to the sessions. Is that right? Yes. Anyone can participate so long as they download the TeenTalk client. We're currently working on options to stream the conference live to YouTube so that people who don't want to join in necessarily in interact live have a way of streaming the conference without as much setup and then there are archives available on nvdacon.org for anyone to download after the fact great and if people wanted to contact you with questions about how to get through school in a math program or computer program or anything else how would they do that yeah so the email i use for volunteer requests and things that aren't urgent is dreamer, so D-R-I-E-M-E-R dot reamer, R-I-E-M-E-R at gmail.com. Great. Do you have a social media presence? I'm at Derek Reamer on Twitter, um, and I don't use Facebook currently. And you mentioned the Anchor Center. Do you have a resource for that that we can share with people? Anchor Center for Blind Children is just anchorcenter.org. And as usual, you can find all that contact information in the show notes associated with this episode at www.eyesonsuccess.net. That's it for show number 1919. Next week on Eyes on Success, we'll be talking with Dean Martineau about his new book that describes how people who use screen readers can make use of keyboard hotkeys in Windows more effectively to customize and make your workflow more efficient and take these shortcuts to the next level. So he will not be covering the basics that you all certainly must know by now, but this will be more advanced. If you have any questions regarding something you've heard about on the show or you'd like to share an idea for a future show, send an email to hosts at eyesonsuccess.net or call us at 585-210-8094. 
You've been listening to Eyes on Success, hosted and produced by Nancy Goodman Torpy and Peter Torpy and distributed by WXXI Reach Out Radio. Browse the full archive of programs, find instructions for subscribing to the podcasts, and much more at www.eyesonsuccess.net. You can also find us on iTunes and follow us on Facebook at Eyes on Success or Twitter at underscore Eyes on Success. We hope you will join us again next week for more information and updates on products for accessible living. Thanks for listening to Eyes on Success and have a nice day.